Jehovah Jireh. Amen. So let's open our Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. We'll be reading there in a moment. Uh, I don't think I have to tell you, but revival was amazing. I had a wonderful time. For me as a pastor, I love to be preached to every opportunity I get, so revivals are are good for me. Um, But the goal of a revival isn't just to get us all onto this emotional high for a few days where we feel good and we get excited, but then after a few short days after that, we just revert back to the same status that we were before revival. You see, the meaning of the word revive is to restore something to life. Now, what good would it be to be revived if we were to just die a few short days after? If someone dies and then is revived by a doctor, then the goal is to then sustain that revived life. And to live a long life from that point forward. And the same is true for us after our revival services. We are hopefully feeling a spiritual revival still on this Sunday after revival services, but now our goal should be to maintain this life within us. We spent this week being equipped by the work of evangelists, and now it's time to put that equippedness to work. And so often, as Christians, we settle for emotional highs rather than spiritual consistency and longevity. And the exciting times are great. Revival is awesome. We just got out of revival. We're already looking forward to the next revival. But the quality of our walk as Christians is found between the highs. Can we take what we learn from these highs, what we experience in these highs, and put them to work in our life to be spiritually revived and spiritually stable? Can we be used to revive the lives of people around us. This is what the, the stability of our faith is found, is when we can put our faith, our revival in our lives to work to bring revival to other people, to bring revival to the lives around us. And this is what we see as the beginning of the church is experiencing revival. We see Peter and John sparking revival in the lives of others. Let's read our text this morning. John chapter 3 Verses 1 through 10 says, And now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask psalms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And verse 7 says, And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. 
and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This morning I'm going to preach a sermon I've entitled Expected. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for meeting with us this morning. God, I ask, Lord, that by the power of your Spirit, Lord, that you would minister to each of us today, God, that you would speak clearly to your people, God, that you would touch us, Lord, this morning, God, not by my words or by my intellect, God, but I hide behind your cross, God, touch them by your power in Jesus' name, amen. So some of you that text may have sounded familiar, right before revival, I preached a sermon called Expecting with the same text, and uh, I preached it right before revival from the standpoint of the lame beggar and how before God we were all beggars seeking a miracle or even in our relationship with God we what type of miracles do we expect God to accomplish in our lives and from our text that we just read we can see that he was healed and he immediately became began proclaiming God and praising God And just like that, in a moment, he went from being a lame beggar to an ambassador for Christ, just like Peter and John were. You see, when we are spiritually healed and made a child of God, then our roles are changed from a beggar into an ambassador, sent to the beggars and to the seekers. And so if you are here today and you are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, then you are called to give help to the beggars of our world. Amen. So the world is hurt. The world is hurting and it's looking for answers. Acts from our text, chapter 3, verse 2, says, The man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called Beautiful Gate, to ask for alms of those entering the temple. You see, this man was born this way. He was born in a dire condition, just like you and I were. You see, he was born physically lame, but we were all born spiritually lame. John 3, 6, Jesus says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He's speaking of our natural birth, being born into a sinful nature, and we must experience a rebirthing spiritually to experience true life. We were born of the flesh. We were born into fleshly desires, into worldly wants. And if we live according to our flesh, then we are living a life uh, with a lame and useless spirit condemned by our spiritual state. We are all born this way. No one is exempt of this. We are born into sin. And the world is in a dire situation, and they are desperate for answers. This world is is crazy. You don't have to go far to find craziness in this world. And if you can't find it in your own life, just turn on the TV, go on to social media. It's all over. 1 Timothy 4.1 speaking of our times, says now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. It's no secret that our world today is getting farther from God, that our generation is distant from Him. And this verse I just read says, later times some will depart from the faith. 
Now, I believe that this took place generations ago. That in the later times, some will depart from the faith. We're talking about our grandma and grandpas or our great-grandmas and grandpas, the generations of years ago that have gotten farther and farther from God. And now what we are witnessing is the offspring of these generations who were born far from God. They were born into families that didn't know God. They were born into situations that didn't acknowledge God. Much of today's generations, the people of you know, Generation Z or X or Millennials or whatever they are, the young people, they don't acknowledge God. They don't have much understanding of Him at all. I believe we are generations removed from people who have departed from the faith. And now we are experiencing generations that are born without any faith. But yet these people, their souls long for something. Their souls long for fulfillment and they don't know where to find it psalms 42 verse 2 says my soul thirsts for god for the living god when shall i come and appear before god our souls thirst for god whether we know it or not whether we acknowledge him or not our souls were created for god as it says in colossians colossians 1 16 for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. Our souls were created to long for God. Our souls, whether we are believers or not, atheists or Mormons or Catholics or Buddhists or Islamists or whatever, our souls within us long for God. God created us to know Him. The souls of the lost are crying out for God. They're begging for alms. They're seeking answers. But they are seeking the answers within the world by the world's solutions. We are generations separated far from God and the generations today are trying to come up with their own solutions, trying to come up with their own answers to the problems. So much of today's world is depressed and anxious and, and, and stressed and all of these things and these are the results of being far from God. These are the results of being separated from God and it's no mystery that it's only getting worse right now. You see, our, generations, our generation today needs God, but the generations today will also tell you that what you need is in the world. What you want to find is in the world, and they don't mention God, and if they do, they mention Him because they'll say, God and those crazy Christians are part of your problem, not the solution. But according to Mental Health America, over 1 in 10 youth today in the United States are experiencing depression that is severely impairing their ability to function at school or work at home with family or in their social life. 16.39% of youth ages 12 to 17 report suffering from at least one major depressive episode, also known as MDE, in the last year. 11.5% of youth, which is over 2.7 million youth, are experiencing severe major depression. 
So the world says, they, the, the world needs to find solutions to this problem. The world acknowledges depression is not good. Anxiety is not good. So we must offer solutions. And the world outside of the medical world will tell you, turn to drugs. And the youth today are listening. According to drugabusestatistics.com or .org, 50%, 50% of people ages 12 and older have used illicit drugs before. That's half, for those of you who aren't statisticians. One out of two. And so the world says, turn to love. But according to Cost, Catherine, and Stanley Henshaw, three out of ten teen American girls will get pregnant at least once before the age 20. That's nearly 750,000 teen pregnancies every year. And according to a Gallup poll, the amount of people who identify as LGBTQ, love is love has doubled since 2012. And today in traditional marriages, 50% of all marriages end in divorce. The world's solutions are failing. The world is seeking answers in all of these things. You find it in substance. You find it in love. You find it in whatever it is. They're, they're trying thing after thing, idea after idea, and people are going to hell. People are stuck in their sin. People are stuck in their depression. These solutions aren't working. According to Addiction Center, drug overdoses have more than tripled since 1990. That's not even drug overdose. That's drug overdose deaths. Sorry, I misspoke. Drug overdose deaths have more than tripled since 1990. On top of that, parenthood is the leading reason that teen girls drop out of school. Eight out of ten teen dads do not marry the mother of their child. And about one in four teen pregnancies ended in abortion. Also, according to Johns et al. in 2020, LGBTQ youth are more than 400% more likely to commit suicide than their peers. The answers of the world are failing their own people. The answers of the world are coming up short to what God says we need. The world is desperate for answers. They're turning to things they don't even want to be. You hear these people who used to be identified as LGBT and then they, they find God and they realize, they look back and they go, I didn't even want to be that, but I was trying to figure out who I was and what I needed. The, the girls who are turning to these useless guys in high school said, I didn't know what else to do. I just wanted to feel loved. I felt so depressed and empty inside, I just figured maybe drugs would help. The world is killing their own. The world is letting down their own, and most importantly, the world is leading their own straight to hell. The world is desperate for answers. And they know deep down within them they are longing for something. They need something within them. It's that song, there's a God-shaped hole in all of us. I don't sing like Adrian Farley, but... It's a cheesy song, but it's true. There's a hole within us that only God can fill. They're desperately seeking to fill that hole, and it's failing time and time again, and their situation is only getting worse. They desperately need Jesus Christ. And church, listen, when the world looks at you, get their attention. When the world looks at you, for answers, get there. And that might sound redundant. When the world looks at me, get there. Well, they're looking at me. Don't I have their attention? But that's what happens. 
Listen, look at our text, verses 3 and 4. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. You might read this text and think, wasn't he already looking at him? He just asked them for money. And he say, look at us. Well, what happens many times when we as Christians do get the attention of the world? When the world looks at you and, and they think maybe that person has something to offer. Many times we tend to back down. So often today the church world is becoming passive with our faith. When the world looks to us for answers, we kind of tend to you know, back down and turn away. Why is that? Well, in today's hyper-offensive world, we're, we're worried we might offend people. Our beliefs might not align with their lifestyle, so we don't want to upset anybody. The ways of God are clearly different than the ways of the world. We know that. You don't have to read very far in the Bible to find out that this world is far from the Word of God. We're worried about offending people with the truth of God. Or maybe we don't want to be offended. Maybe we fear being insulted or being persecuted for our faith. That, that if somebody looks to us and we say, listen, man, the reason for this joy in my heart is Jesus Christ, and somebody goes, wow, you're stupid. They're like, That's the worst they can do in America, right? We're worried about being persecuted for our faith, that not only will our message be rejected, but maybe it'll cost us something. We might be shamed by our peers. We might lose relationships, or it might damage our career, or get in the way of our education, or whatever the devil lies to you about. Or maybe we simply want to, but we're just worried that we might mess it up. We're afraid of, of, of messing it up. We fear that if we try to point people to Christ, we'll say something dumb or act stupid in a way and we'll make Jesus look bad. We're going to make Jesus look bad every time, time and time again because we mess up. But listen, we don't, Jesus doesn't need us to be elegant with our words he doesn't need us to put together clear presentations to people. He just asks us to tell people about him. You think about in the Gospels when Jesus delivers the man of the legion of demons known as the demoniac and the woman at the well who he knew everything about. What does he tell them? He says, go and tell people what God has done for you. Listen, you might not have the whole Bible memorized. That's okay. But what you do know is what God has done for you. What you do know is what Jesus has done in your life. So at the very least, when people look at you, testify. Tell them, Jesus worked in my life, and he can work in yours. But we should not be afraid. We should not back down. When the world is looking to us for answers, we should boldly and confidently give them Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God... Uh, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And First Timothy, oh my gosh, First Peter three fifteen says, "But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect." The world is running mad, looking for answers in life. And when they look to you, you need to give them Christ. Howard Hendricks 
said, in the midst of a generation screaming for answers, Christians are stuttering. We have the solution. We have what they need. And when the world looks at you, we must get their attention. When the world looks at you, we say, yeah, it's about time you looked at me. Now look at Jesus. It's about time you turned from those things in the world. Now look what I have that's helped me, and it can help you. We're not the solution, but we know the solution. We're not the answers, but we know who has the answers. And when the lame man looked at Peter and John, they looked at him and said, look at us. Not look away, we're broke, we don't have any money. Not, uh, it's not our ministry, you know, taking care of the poor people. That's not, that's not what God called us to focus on. Not, not, oh, we're not worthy to help people. Maybe try something else or check out this program or therapy or, the, or the, you know, the union gospels down there. They didn't say any of that. No, they said, look at us and then we'll show you the power of Jesus. Church, when the world looks at you, give them Jesus. And that's what Peter and John did in our text, verses 3 through 7. It says, seeing Peter and John go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. The world can't solve your problems. They are only offering lacking solutions. Even things that feel like they help only help temporarily. But this man couldn't even walk. He was born lame. He couldn't, he couldn't move. He couldn't walk. He couldn't get himself around. And the solution of the world was to beg for money. Money can't make him walk. I mean, he needs to eat. He needs to you know, pay rent, possibly. So that's the solution. Listen, you can't work for your money, so beg for your money, right? The man couldn't walk, and the world's solution was only a band-aid. The world's solution was only a temporary fix. And Peter basically straight up tells him, I won't fix your problem by the prescriptions of the world. Silver and gold, I'm not going to give you that. And if you just stopped there, you'd be like, dang, bro. It's a little messed up. Could have just walked past him. No, he says, I'm not going to fix your problem by what the world tells you you need. I'm going to give you what fixed my problems and the only thing that can truly fix your problems. And then he says to him, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And when people look to us sick to death of their depression and their anxiety, when the people look to us addicted to drugs, when the people look to us with a trail of tears behind them of all the different ways love has failed them, you can look at them and say, I'm not going to give you drugs. I'm not going to give you meds. I'm not going to give you fake love. I'm going to give you Jesus Christ. And in the name of Jesus, let your spirit rise up and walk. Consider this man laying at the gate every single day, day after day. People walk by. The reactions he might get from people, scorns, and even people probably spitting on him, calling him names, looking down upon him. Consider this man. 
And he's looking for just band-aid solutions. But Jesus comes and Jesus heals the wound. The world is slapping band-aids on an incurable wound and Jesus comes in and says, rise up and walk. The world just wants to give us band-aid after band-aid after band-aid. But Jesus wants to heal you. Jesus wants to heal this generation. Jesus wants to touch lives, and we need to be pointing people to the solution. When people look to us, we have to point them to the saving and healing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. People are continually, time after time, being let down by the solutions of the world. And when we get their attention, when they look at us, when they turn to us, we cannot back down. We cannot be afraid. We cannot be timid. We have to act. We have to speak. And we have to do it boldly. And we have to point them to Christ. This world is messed up, man. This world is lost. Generations after generations of being separated from God. But yet Jesus Christ is the only real solution. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? That these people can come to us wrecked in their issues and we tell them, well, just go to a counselor or something. Jesus is called the mighty counselor. Oh, just go to a doctor. Jesus is known as the great physician. We should never be pointing people back to the solutions of the world who need Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking down about doctors, and that stuff all has their place, but we need to be pointing people to Jesus. Can we be pointing people to Jesus, this hurting world, to the great physician? Psalms 103, verses 1 through 5 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like eagles. That's the God we can point people to. Bless the Lord, O my soul, who can heal this wicked generation. This is the solution. The God in our word, the Jesus Christ who saved you and I, is the solution to the world around us. We have the answers the world is so desperately searching for. Every opportunity we should be pointing him to Jesus Christ. You want the fire of this revival to continue? Then go light some things on fire. What, what makes a wildfire stop? Nothing left to burn. Spread your revival. Revive other lives. Con maintain what Christ has done in your life this week. We have the answers that the world is searching for. We need to point the world to Christ. John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. Thank God for that. Do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid. Jesus can give the world, can give us what the world cannot give, what the world cannot offer. This world is full of turmoil. There's no peace. There's, there's none of it. 
Jesus is the solution to the pain in this world. And when they look to us for a solution, when they look to us for answers, be ready. Be ready to point them to Christ and tell them, I too was once a beggar like you. I too was once lost and wrecked in my sin like you. I too was once messed up like you. But then Christ came and healed me of my sin and gave me peace. The only difference between me and you is that Christ is involved in my life. And he can be involved in your life too. Take this revival, take this spirit, take this growth, take this spiritually, spiritual high and let it spread like fire in your life. Be willing to point to Christ. Put to work the things that you've been taught. Because in a world that we live in today, so messed up, so tumultuous, that sometimes the world looks at you and you are expected to have answers. You might know people who are continually turning to the world, continually turning to the solutions of the world, continually turning to this, continually turning to that. But when the time comes that they finally turn to their crazy Christian friend who's always talking about Jesus, that we can be ready. That when something is expected of us, we can be ready to point them to Christ. Can I have every head bowed and every eyes closed this morning?